today we're looking at um, 1974 Italian-Spanish co-production, The Living Dead at Manchester Morgue. We're looking at this film for myriad of reasons. Um, one of them being this is um, one of the only one of the only horror films that I know of that's set in uh, Manchester in uh, in England. Um, we're of course from Manchester ourselves, uh, being the Manchester Morgue. Um, no, no, collect, no connection, not much anyway. Um, and uh, we're going to be slicing and dicing this film up tonight with um, a little look later on at Halloween 3, as it's nearly that time of year. So, um, now guys, I know this is a film I've seen a few times before. I haven't seen it for, I saw it last week and I hadn't seen it for a long time before that. Um, is, is this a, a first watch for either of you, uh, Lee? It is for me, yeah. I remember you telling me about this film. It must have been like 15 years ago, maybe. And I was always really interested in this film set, zombie film set in Manchester. But it's a bit of a, it was probably before the days of streaming, before you could easily get hold of this film on DVD. Right. Um, and obviously, recently, it's just been re- released, hasn't it? The definitive edition synapse release so, yeah there's a really good synapse uh synapse are an american company and they've they've just recently put out a, a, a very nice edition of this with um books and booklets and posters and cd soundtrack and uh, there's a there's a ton of extras on the disc which i haven't worked through yet but um i've watched the film and um yeah it's a nice little it's a nice little release for anyone who's uh, who's interested i'd certainly recommend it and it was so good we named the podcast after it. Exactly, exactly. What we're going to call our podcast, but the uh, the Manchester Mall podcast. And Rob, is this was it a first watch for, for you? No, it was a second watch. Um, I remember um, Carl um, um, suggested it to a good friend of ours called Jamie. And uh, Jamie, if you're listening, it's a shout out for you. So, uh, and okay. Jamie, Jamie's not a big horror film fan, but he, um, I think he sat me down in his house and he. He had it on something. I don't know if it was VHS or something. Maybe got it off you, Carl. And we sat down. I, I, and I, did, send it, I did send it down to him once. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, just for him to kind of have a look at. Because one thing he is interested in is uh, kind of films at Shaw Manchester. Yeah, he loves it. He adores Manchester. That box. Um, yeah, we saw it with him. Um, it was one of those post-club toast and tea things at two in the morning. Um, so, so, so I saw it recently, you know, obviously for the uh, podcast about a few days ago, and it was a very different experience, you know, with uh, a few more years under the bonnet as well. So, uh, and being sober and being sober <laughs> helped. Yeah. So I've got, you know, a very different take on it today. You get but, several, you know, depending on what you've had, you get, you can get two or three different movie experiences from the same film, can't you? Uh, exactly, yeah, completely. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. And it's pretty rare to have a, have a zombie film set in England, never mind the Northwest, isn't it really? I oh, think yes. that's why it stood out to me really. The only, the only other thing, the only other one I can think of is the, um, there's a, there's a horror, hammer horror from the mid sixties called, uh, is it some like plague of the zombies? Which is yeah. uh, England set, but it's it's not kind of in the style of um, Night of the Living Dead, which this film. I suppose is you, you could mention the American Werewolf in London. You know, starts off in Yorkshire, uh, which mm, gets yeah, you know as close right. as you know. Sorry, Lancastrians, I'm a Lancastrian. You know, that's as close as we get. <laughs> um, but that's you know, but again, that's like big. It's completely different. I mean, it's it's basically selling London that film, like most films of the eighties did, yeah. but. Uh, now, guys, this film has um, a ton of titles. Um, it's it's odd that Living Dead at Manchester Morgan kind of survived as the as, as the best. I think it is the best title, but this is not what the filmmakers originally envisioned. We have other titles, 
as we discussed before, which are the nonsensical "don't open the window." Um, <laughs> what was the other one? Uh, Lee, the one that sleeping corpses lie. Uh, corpses I think there was lie. even so- zombie th- zombie three. I think was even one as well. Oh, it's got about three. eleven different yeah. names as well. Yeah. You know, I have heard of that one before. Yeah, um, that must have been like a video retitling at some point. Um, mm. What what else was it? The Italian title is uh, translates as uh, "Where do you come from?" Which is uh, you know another strange title. And I think the Spanish title is. Uh, don't disturb the sleep of the dead, which is is not too bad. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's got, it goes through yeah. a lot of titles. Yeah. I think even on on video when it was released years ago, this was just called the Living Dead, and I think it might have fallen foul of um, copyright yeah. the video uh, video recordings act in nineteen eighties. I think copies of this were seized as uh, as it was you know one of the many films that was perceived to be a, a bit of a video nasty. Um, so no. it's a, it's a very it's got a very interesting history as well as being uh, you know quite a good horror film in its own right. Well, I think it's quite a good horror film in its own right. Um, yeah, it was on the video nasty list, wasn't it, for a few years? Was it till eighty five? I think or yeah, or something. Yeah, then well, it, was it was. They uh, they started to re release those films kind of towards the end of the eighties and early nineties and cut cut for highly cut versions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. And I think um, two thousand and two, it came out on DVD. That's right. That was, pretty, that was a pretty good release from uh, on, on Anchor Bay. Um, I think it's long out of print now that one, but it's you can you can pick that one up for a few quid on uh, on various uh, websites. Um, it's considered really um, it, that one. Um, I know it's considered a, a great stepping stone, isn't it, to take you from you know the uh, the beginning folklore, I suppose, of the zombie films. You know the great zombie films of the seventies and eighties. It takes you between like the uh, the bridge between the two it's before, like the whole Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, the whole the whole idea of the rule the rules have not been set as well. So mm-hmm. there's you know a totally different approach to zombies and the way they move and the way they are the quiet because totally. of the zombie the the dead the in this film. We'll, we'll, I guess we'll, we'll come to that later on. But yeah. something yeah. happens a bit later on. We think, mm-hmm. oh, hang on, these are not like the usual zombies. What no, it's, it, it's not like The Walking Dead where everyone's just pitchforking everyone in the head and after five <laughs> minutes, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot more to them. A bit trickier than that. Um, so, guys, we're, we're all Mancunians. We're, we're all from Manchester. And um, the first five or so minutes of this film is all footage set. It's like a montage sequence set in uh, Manchester as our protagonist... Rides through the city centre on his uh, on his motorbike. Um, I I, quite, I I love the sequence because it's it's scored um, very very well. Uh, this little bit, it's a nice funky kind of uh, track. Um, yeah, that track's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> yeah, the orange double decker GM buses. Uh, yeah, it's it's beautiful. I mean, it's well for me, it's beautiful. But for most people, just look at an industrial hell. But for me, when I see like uh, um, some of the shots in Manchester, even you know, obviously, I remember Manchester in the eighties as a kid. But it's it's so nostalgic, and uh, you know, even though it's before I was born and things, it's, it's, it's just, nice. Uh, I'd say I had the pause button out uh, at some yeah. some points of this, trying to trying to figure out where certain <laughs> certain things were, and um, I think they I think they must have got around the city quite a bit. Um, one yeah, thing... there was uh, scenes of the corn exchange, wasn't there? Before, obviously, it was it was blown up by the IRA bomb, but so yeah, that was where the yeah. Hertz rental centre was. That was the corn exchange, right? And yes, then there was the Man- Manchester Central Station, which has been demolished, and that's where the GMX is now. Yeah, lots, yeah, of, lots of history there. 
Um, one one thing I noticed was um, this this film's remarkably prescient because in the opening scenes, and this is a prelude to what happens later, there's lots of people. It shows people wearing masks in the city centre, which yeah. I must say, it's I've, COVID I've secure. Seen, yeah. I've never seen in Manchester ever. Probably not even not even today no. either. Um, but um, yeah, there's, there's masks. We we like you, to breathe in our car fumes, don't we? We do. We do. We do. Car fumes and smoking factories and. Um, it's what gives us our dower. You see the guy coming out of the bridge, is it the bridge pharmacy? And he just comes out and pops a couple of pills and then like walks off. Yeah. Anti pollution pills. Yeah. It's, the, it's, the, it's the, the vacant faces traveling on the uh, GM buses as well. And uh, yeah, it's beautiful. And as we were saying, they, they, are, they are real faces. They're, they didn't train, they didn't put actors on the buses to get these shots. They yeah, just that's... went out guerrilla style and they, they filmed. People on buses. I wonder. I wonder if these people ever saw themselves randomly oh. watching this film years later, thinking, "Hang on a minute, that's me." They, they, no they must have. What was that bit where they had uh, like Kenny Dalgleish stood outside Manchester <laughs> Cathedral in a Mac, <laughs> and then suddenly <laughs> the the Mac comes off, and it's Kenny Dalgleish has got two big breasts, and he's running, he's streaking across oh, the road. Yeah. Yeah. For anyone I watching this film, I don't think it's our Kenny. To be honest, uh, <laughs> for anyone watching he's this film, guy, but he's not that good. Uh, it's <laughs> it's become um, infamous the film for for that opening sequence of a, a naked woman running across the street in Manchester, um, and she's she's very much of the time, isn't she? Like <laughs> she's very of much physically, yeah, physically in terms <laughs> of her uh, grooming. <laughs> her yeah. Grooming's uh, quite minimal. Yeah, yeah, she needs a bit of ladyscaping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. but it's um, but it, I mean, again, it's it's a film with a brain, isn't it? You know, when that happens, it's um, and the fact is that nobody reacts to this happening in a busy city center is to it's making a statement, uh, yeah, which totally. we'll talk about later. It's, there's, it, there's lots of statements made all the way through this film, and as soon as you and as soon as you spot that kind of thing, you're like, hang on, yeah, we might be on something here. This this film might might not be too bad. It's but, not a thicky hard film. The first few times. Um, what else did I see? So in the opening sequences, there's um, special effects by a chap called Gianetto Di Rossi, which is a good name, mm. Rossi, because um, he um, he later on went to do the gory special effects for Zombie Flesh Eaters. Oh, um, that's a classic. So I wonder if the director yeah. of that saw this, and obviously there's some there's some gory sequences later, and must have thought, oh, we'll, mm. we'll have him. Mm. Um, yeah. So it's like yeah. a CV. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. The, the music's music's pretty good. I don't know him, but it's a guy called Giulio Sorgini. Um, mm. I don't know what other films he's done, to be honest. But the soundtrack for this film's pretty pretty good. I think it's pretty effective. Yeah, I mean, I'll put it out there. You know, it was going to come clear later. I'm not a big fan of the film, but I have to admit the soundtrack gets you. Um, it's pretty easy. Yeah, it's pretty good, and yeah, I'm not. <laughs> You know, I'll explain later why I'm not a fan, but um, maybe I'm just indulged now. But uh, we'll, we'll turn you around. We'll, we'll turn you around, Rob. The more I, you, I hear, I hear the love in your voice, Rob, for this film. You, you can't say you. I think you're protesting too much. No, I can appreciate, but it's like you know, I can appreciate. You know, um, I can appreciate many things, but I don't have to like them. <laughs> so anyway, our our hero is a chap. Um, Called George, the character is called George, and he's played by an actor, Italian actor called uh, Ray Ray Lovelock, which is a great name. And uh, you've got to be careful saying that name, haven't you? <laughs> he's in loads of Italian exploitation films of the seventies, and a few a few Hollywood films here and there, in like in bit parts. Um, and I think 
the Italian producers liked him because he had such an, an anglicised name that they could put yeah. on film posters and make people think, oh, it's not an Italian or a Spanish film, it's actually a... Can we mention his, I mean, the voice, the voice, the dubbing, you know, like I know that we have to get past the dubbing, but his, the protagonist's main dub is like very camp, isn't it? It's that angry camp all the way through it. Yeah, it's almost something from a carry-on film, his dub. I mean, I've, I've heard him speak. He does not talk like that. He's got, like, he speaks no. in... Don't bugger me about. <laughs> yeah. If Charles Haltry had played it... Um... Maybe. Is, why, why has he got a Cockney accent? Because he's, he, you know, he's got a he's got an antique shop in Manchester that he takes his, you know... Antique oh, no, there's a zombie. Yeah. Yeah, because there are some... He does look cool as fuck, though, doesn't he? Oh, he, he does look cool. cool. With his shades, with the side side shields on there and stuff. You can tell he's not a monkey. It's that phrase you use, Lee, for Ray Lovelock as George. A certain kind of energy. What type of... Yeah, he's got big, big big dick energy. Big dick energy. That's exactly, (laughs) exactly uh, the the description of Ray Lovelock. That's going to be on a podcast clip. He knows he's the star of this film. He gives gives it all his worth. Uh, here's a clip from the Manchester Mall talking about Big Dick Energy. Yeah. Big Dick Energy, yeah. So that, that's our that's our Ray. Anyway, um, Ray leaves his <clears throat> antique shop that he runs in the middle of Manchester, we presume, and mm. he takes a precious artifact from it, uh, pops it in his bag, closes the shop up, hops on his hops on his bike, his motorbike, and um, yeah. heads out of Manchester City Centre that little montage scene to the uh, to the greenery of the Peak District. I was saddened when he left Manchester, you know, because I, I wanted the whole film to be set in like in the Arndale Centre or something. But no, but it was a shame, wasn't it, yeah. that we never returned? Yeah. yeah. Well, even the um, even the big Hollywood films promise that kind of action yeah. they don't deliver. Like, do you remember Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight, which was subtitled "Jason Takes Manhattan"? Yeah, did he take Manhattan? He did not take Manhattan. He reached Manhattan in the last five minutes, <laughs> and then and then got killed. So that's not a yeah. run sale, is it? That's not trade descriptions out moment. I, yeah, we yeah. have to. You've yeah. got to be disappointed with uh, yeah. Jason takes Manhattan, which is mostly set on a boat. Uh, but they <laughs> to check out if you've not seen. Uh, oh, I've seen it. I've seen them all. But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so George heads out to um to, to the Lady Streets. He's going to Windermere, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, he needs to refuel, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that, this is where we meet Edna for the first time, who's uh, just getting used to driving a mini. I think she must have just picked it up because she sets off in reverse and runs <laughs> over uh, George's uh, Norton motorbike. This yeah. is where you know, you know, Lee mentioned earlier about um, that George has got big dick energy. Well, the actor has, but this is where, like me, I lost them. Um, you know, I know uh, oh, I was talking about cowardice, like uh, the lead seventies act um, characters often. Are uh, bits of you know bit assholes, aren't they? He's immediately real. You know, fair enough, his bike's been bashed into, but the way he speaks to her and uh, his opening addresses to, he's such an arsehole. This this may it's, be a trait. It's uh, called uh, toxic masculinity, really. Is it? It's yeah. not very uh, two thousand twenty, is it? Really, but I think. <laughs> All the women love a bad boy, so I think Edna's got wet knickers secretly. I think she quite I likes it. She, but... I think she's intrigued. She's <laughs> I, intrigued because like he's got. To think, I'd like to think she has. Yes. I mean, what is his line? He literally says to her, "You can give me a lift," and she goes, "Well, I'm only going to the outskirts of Windermere." Are you going to Windermere? Not into the town exactly. Nearby. Well, you'll take me there just the same, won't you? I'll drive. Because she speaks very posh, like clipped RP voice. And then he goes, well, you can give me a lift to the centre. It's the least you can do. And it's, 
And she, and she just agrees. She just takes him in a car, just him and her on their own, a complete stranger with his rapey beard. Even, uh, even fix a cigarette as well, just for good measure. Yeah, he, he, he drives. He, he like, pushes oh, around the driver's seat. Oh, yeah. 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 Can, you imagine doing that, can you imagine doing that in 2020? You just say, move yeah. along. Move out of the way, love. I'm driving your car. He says, uh, he says uh, we, we don't want to bloody drive there in reverse, do we now, darling? <laughs> It's funny though, because the guy at the garage, the garage, um, you know, the petrol station, um, attendant, they they dub on like a really good northern accent for him. So I don't know, yeah, I don't know where they got yeah. that accent from, because it was you not know, all people who dubbed these films. Um, Why does George sound like a camp, like a camp George Hopper, <laughs> <laughs> a campo? But uh, yeah, and. Why do they have to send off to Glasgow for tyres? Is that the only tyre? Was this like communist Britain where there's only one tyre factory in the whole of Britain or something? How long will it take? Well, you'll need a new wheel. We'll have to get that from Glasgow. And it's the weekend. Earliest to be Monday evening. Maybe. You know, this this could be a set in the future, looking down at Manchester Mall. This could be Brexit Britain, couldn't it? Where we have to send to Glasgow for a, for a tyre. Yeah. Replace a tyre. It's, it's on the cards. <laughs> So they head off to the beautiful um, Lake District, but they were, in fact, you know, um, the film was filmed mostly in Derbyshire, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Pretty right. much, yeah. In the Peak District. Yeah, yes. yeah in the Peak District. So they, they pretend to be heading to the Lake District, <laughs> just for us. But I suppose, you know, a non, non-English, non-Anglophiles would know, would have no idea, would they? You'd see English rural countryside, I suppose. Mm. Anyway, so for unspecified reasons, they, they end up going to see... Um, on the way to see Edna's sister for, at the moment, unspecified reasons. Uh, and on the way, the road, the road that they're driving on suddenly kind of comes to an end by mm. the side of a large stream. So George um, goes looking for assistance because they're, you know, they're, 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 neither of them kind of know where they're going. So they're, yeah. he goes looking for, um, you know, someone to help out. And he it's takes the car keys with him, doesn't he? Because he doesn't trust Edna <laughs> to just drive off myself yeah. and quite frankly at this moment i think if i read now i probably would so he's, i would have legged it by now i would have legged it she makes would have legged it i would have legged it and pressed me rape alarm and be, be, i don't know uh george is looking pretty cute you know you might hedge your bets a bit now <laughs> i think george is all right i think he, I think he kind of proves himself later on uh, and he, you know, considering what you he's know actually he's, happens i think he's probably he's probably right to be kind of angry with her early on <laughs> He's probably well. He, he pretends to be intelligent and that he's got a plan all the way through. He, he has no plan. He has. Uh, he's very limited. But yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> no. Um, so anyway, he, he goes on. He goes look, looking around. Anyway, he finds uh, what seems to be like a farmhouse and like a local landowner or far, farm uh, farmer, perhaps. Yeah. And he's using this this brand spanking new machine, isn't he? Which yeah. is uh, which is explained is using ultrasonic radiation. Which is an exposition machine yeah. <laughs> to kill the insects yeah. to eliminate pests and parasites from the land. Um, I think I was trying to watch when I was watching that bit, you know, explaining about this uh, this machine to kill pests and stuff, and it says it sends out a signal and something. I was trying to take myself out of it and say, imagine you've not seen eight thousand zombie films, and you're, <laughs> you're still quite innocent to the fact is that this signal will not raise the dead. Uh, just, just go, just go with it. But it's really impossible, isn't it? You just seen. I've seen so many like radiation clouds and, uh, and you know, yeah. You know, I, I wonder if the other titles which don't mention zombies or living dead. I wonder if they would like deliberately trying to play down the 
the zombie angle because I suppose they're never really mentioned as zombies in the films or as like well, the, no I mean this is this is one of the other you know I mentioned earlier about you know it's got good messages of food you know and it has lots of to say and this is like the big eco message isn't it about mm, messing, yeah. messing messing with the environment um you know that's a big thing, thing you know it's um, I, I, I read a review earlier where it said they're quite heavy-handed with that, but I don't think they are actually. I don't. No, I, don't know. I think if anything now, it's yeah. probably even more. It's more of a of a message now, probably than it probably was back in '74. So I think it's quite quite yeah. kind of far-sighted, really, in that in that regard. And this this was actually something that they were doing at the time and still do today. They do send like food through radiation yeah. to kill kill pests and stuff like that so it's, it is actually based i think the director said he wanted to base it in some kind of reality rather than just have a fantastical machine that yeah. that, that created the zombies he wanted to ground it in in something that people could think was real but yeah it is a yeah. bit of a stretch though i agree Rob. I, yeah. I, I i like it i think it works i think it's a, it's a good it's a good angle and it's a it's a it's a yeah. different way it's a different way for the dead to be raised I mean, if you watch all the hmm. you know all the other zombie films there's lots of different ways but it's a it's usually a virus, isn't it? Yeah. A virus or a radiation cloud which settles over a graveyard. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, so, um, yeah, so he, he's off doing that. And, and I think here's where you can see that the film, the filmmakers must have been told, um, right, we need a knockoff of Night of the Living Dead because mm. Night of the Living Dead was probably hitting quite well around 69, 70. So I'm guessing by yeah, the time we got yeah. to the continent, 71, 72, that's when, that's when the filmmakers there would have probably thought, right, we need to do, you know, our own version of this so we can sell abroad. So here's, here's the first time I noticed it's like it's like Night of the Living Dead, um, because yeah, what a colour part... version of Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> yes, there was a colour version of it later on, but I'll, I'll perhaps we'll talk about that some other time. How many how many minutes in is it before we get our first? Um... No zombie uh, um, shot. It's quite a long time, isn't it? It's because um. Well, this is this is what happens while George is finding out about the machine. Mm. Um, Edna's back in the car, and um, this is where the kind of strange noises and, and sound effects start to appear in the soundtrack that kind of meant to unnerve you and, and discombobulate. Yeah, um, it's kind of like an underwater sound, isn't it? It's kind of like bubbling underwater. Yeah, that's and right. We, uh, and then meet Guthrie for the first time, don't we? Part in the bath. <laughs> Well, the opening of Night of the Living Dead, um, the Romero film, is very much like this because it's almost like there's like an unexpected attack. This jet, this kind of shuffling figure comes towards the, mm. the uh, yeah. Yeah. and starts attacking her from nowhere. He's, and of course, he's we, also quite quite well dressed, isn't he? As well, he is. He's, um, he's not wearing like a ragtag. You know, he's been buried for. Mums and mums. He's, he's quite well dressed, a bit damp, but um, he's, he's... Has he been buried. We'll, we'll talk about this plot development later. But has he been buried? Because don't they find something of his later? I've on? never be in that he's not. I've never seen this film, but apparently he's the spit for the joy of sex man from the seventies. <laughs> uh, so every time he came lumbering, as well, I've I've heard that rumor. Um, I can't. <laughs> so. Yeah. There was a lot of moaning and groaning. This is yeah. where Joy of Sex guy comes along and um he I don't think Edna's aware at first of the kind of danger that is um is posed to her as he kind of shuffles 
shuffles um, up to her and starts to... Uh... Hello, hello, what's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> and he puts his hand through the window. Maybe that's why it's called Don't Open the Window. Don't maybe, yeah, he puts his hand window. through the window on the mini. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, Can I mention that Edna's really hot as well? But, she, you know, there was a casting trend, wasn't there, uh, for casting beautiful redheads. In do, do, you remember, do you remember we were talking before about our friend Jay? Yeah. One of the one of the things he said to me after after I'd learnt in the film years ago was, "Yeah, that actress, that lead actress in the film, for <laughs> something <laughs> to that effect." We are back into carry on territory I'm, again. I'm only, <laughs> Christina Christina Galbo. Christina Galbo, yeah, lovely. Yeah, and um, she's um, she's in another film I've seen. I think it's called "What What Have You Done to Solange?" and it's another Italian horror film. But to be honest, I didn't really know I didn't really notice her in that. Whereas in this, she's she's quite. You know, she's quite striking, and uh, hmm. you know, she. I think she's. Um, yeah, she's. Uh, she's too she's good. Good, you know, she's good in Lee, I think, in this one. They'd make a great couple. Come on, Rob. No, she's <laughs> she should. Uh, she should get with the jolly sex man. They'd have. They'd have, very, <laughs> have lovely children, wouldn't they? I think. Uh, yeah, look at children. That, yeah. Look at that sexy yeah, so zombie. You find out this guy later on is called Guthrie. Um, Guth- Guthrie Wilson. Guthrie Wilson. Sounds like a folk singer, doesn't he? Woody Guthrie, yeah. So Edna tries to escape in the car, but of course, George has the keys. So she then gets out of the car, but in in typical heroine mode, uh, manages to fall in the street, in the stream rather pathetically uh, for no good reason. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and she just screams in a posh voice. She goes, oh. If she was rough, she'd go, oh. Shit. Bloody, <laughs> hell. <laughs> Bloody hell. If she was a real monk, she'd go, I'm out of here. <laughs> Later, see ya. So, of course, no, no one believes poor Edna when she when she finds George again the landowners. No. Although it is established that Guthrie is um, a resident of the town who's homeless and who, who passed away a, a week or two um, previously. Yeah. We get quite a lot of backstory, don't we? The farmer's like, oh, that sounds like Looney Guthrie. Yeah, he, he used to do yeah. that with the cars. He used to have any car that pulled up, he used to have his hand in, yeah. And he's another actor who's been dubbed with like a, quite a good, sounds like quite a genuine uh, kind of northern accent. Yeah. Northern accent. Uh, yeah. They just couldn't be bothered for George. They just gave George. They oh, really? Oh, yeah. Didn't they? Yeah. Oh, I got that. Or uh, Oliver <laughs> esque. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, later on, they um, they eventually find the house of uh, Edna's sister, and it sounds it, Katie. It seat Katie is it? Oh, yeah, and it God. seems like their relationship is not uh, particularly healthy. Or um, yeah. Katie is uh, such the seventies, you know, the hysterical woman on a plane when the plane's going down, and they have to slap her repeatedly. Yeah, she she's plays kind of like it. A thin film of sweat on her face. Yeah. Got dark, a thin film. dark circles under her eyes, around her eyes. Wild staring eyes, hysterical screaming. You just, oh, God. It, it, it'd be that cue on Naked Gun where they're all queued up, slapping her. <laughs> and uh, she's got a bit of a taste of the golden brown, hasn't she? She likes to chase the dragon, yeah, I think, she's cooking, up the weekend. She's cooking up heroin in there. Yeah. yeah. Who, who knew this, this went on in the Peak District in 1974? <laughs> um, anyway, Katie herself is, is disturbed by Guthrie. Who does Katie live with? She lives with Martin, doesn't she? Martin. 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 Martin He's got a bald head and 70s hair at the side. (laughs) 
I think Martin's really a dogger, isn't he? He likes to go out into the countryside at night, doesn't he, and, and take photographs. Yeah, Martin takes photos. Yeah, yeah. Of, of, of the dark, in the dark. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah okay. And, um, That's the believer. So, yeah, um, so again, uh, Katie's, Katie's escapes, Katie escapes, and um, outside the house, and, uh, oh, yes. Yeah, so she finds, she escapes to find the husband out in the dark doing his flash photography, what? Um, and the photography seems to distract Guthrie, who um, who kind of retreats. Yeah. Don't see him. Well, again. it's uh, it's Edna uh, pulling up in the mini, isn't it? I think the headlights is that's very like Night of the Living Dead, isn't it? Where the headlights yes. seem to blind the zombie, yeah. um, and he sort of just yeah, it distracts him and he runs off. And they, so they sort of uh, save the Yeah, from the from Night of the Living Dead, they must have started with the, with a template of that, and then you know worked out mm. the, uh, the the other. It gives us a. It also gives us a little clue of the weaknesses, doesn't it, straight away? You know, like an idea of something that could have an effect on these very formidable zombies as well. Yeah, so... Um, anyway, the the husband is, is kind of uh, attacked by Guthrie as well, if I remember right. I'm a bit clouded on this bit now. I'm referring to my notes, but I don't remember the exact... Yeah, exactly. Martin, yeah, Martin yeah. is uh, devoured. Yeah, they're quite strong, these zombies, aren't they? I think yeah, they just sort yeah. of rip his... Crushes his, his rib cage. That's good, and they're, yeah. they're quite fast at times as well. They're quite quick. They're not. Yeah. Um... They're very strong, aren't they? Yeah, it's a, and and also quite. Um, they're not. You know, they're not like a, the, the powder puff zombies. You get no way can just push them to the side and they fall to the ground. They are. They are a presence that ever coming, isn't it? They don't stop. Mm. And, uh, uh, so yeah. Martin is killed by Guthrie, and the sister only barely escapes, which is which is when George yeah. and Edna, Edna finally show up, uh, and they. Um, you know, like the similar to the shot in Night of the Living Dead, where the the car turns up with the the headlights on full beam. Um, and uh, I think the next scene is the first time we get to see the sergeant, isn't it? Does he actually have a name, the sergeant? I don't know. He's just preferred. I don't know. To... Is he just? I, I didn't know a name for him sergeant at all. All the way through, yeah. It's Arthur Kennedy, um, isn't it? He's yeah. an actor called um, Arthur Kennedy, who was um, like many uh, actors in seventies Italian Spanish films. Um, they would be brought in from uh, from Hollywood, uh, from America, and um, perhaps their career in America in Hollywood was a bit on the wane. Mm. But they, they'd bring them over for two, three, four, I don't know if it was days or just a couple of weeks, you know, and they, they'd treat them to meals out and things like that. And He's, the, he's the one true actor in the film, is he? He's, he's, yeah, he was, uh, in, uh, he was in Lawrence of the Arabia, wasn't he? I think. Lawrence of Arabia? This guy's not a lightweight. He's uh, He's been in some uh, some top-notch uh, top notch material. He plays it one pattern, and he's just angry. Just he angry does, immediately. Yeah. I, I, I think <laughs> it's quite a good performance because it's, it's obviously setting up this conflict between um, later on him and, him and George and... Mm. You know, his his the inspector's disdain for anything kind of youthful or counterculture. He just hates it. Yeah, some perverts. There's a great line he has later on about. I'll, I'll maybe talk about it later. We'll get but, into uh, it. Yeah, yeah. He's he's kind of got an Irish accent, uh, which is sometimes, which is sometimes, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> American it's, Irish. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> I mean, it's historically accurate. I mean, you know, Manchester and up north. You know, we have a big, um, big Irish, um, big Irish population. Yeah. So Totally I can't remember if he's. I think he does say to be sure. Maybe at one point. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, Rob's trying to get all our Irish listeners. Um, so 
uh, <laughs> recording on a t- Thursday, <laughs> Tuesday. Yeah, well, he, in his first encounter, he kind of he, he thinks that the that George and the other two are, are responsible for the murder of Martin. He calls them sadists. Yeah, he needs um, no evidence, does he? Doesn't need the evidence. Doesn't need the evidence. Well, this is this is perhaps what policing was like in maybe not yeah. in. Well, maybe it was like that in England. But if you hear if you hear gross past your ears, that's you're guilty. Yeah. <laughs> I saw uh, an interview with the um, director uh, Jorge Grau, and he said that he um, gave an instruction uh, to Arthur Kennedy to play the sergeant as somebody who never quite, you know, he had ambitions to be the chief of police, but never quite got there. And he's oh. kind of angry at the world, angry at the society. So that's why he's kind of so angry. I think every, every even his, his, his police constables, he's even angry at them, isn't he, throughout the film? You know, it's yeah. it's kind of... Playing somebody American, then Irish, then English. <laughs> Just playing <laughs> in a spiral <laughs> confusion. <laughs> yeah, it certainly fits with his performance as well from... From what he, you know, how he, how he plays it, um, the the, uh, the sergeant finds naked photographs of um, of Sister Katie from photography, yeah. which obviously doesn't float his boat. Finds heroin. We don't get, we don't get so, to see them, do we? We don't really get because I, I, when I was watching, not them being perp, but we didn't. They're kind of hidden from us a bit, aren't they? The they kind of, yeah, you, you see them very briefly, and then they're, they're kind of they're, they're taken off out of uh, range of the camera again. Um, so yeah, all these things make. You know, add further fuel to the sergeant's fire. Thinking yeah. he's satanist. They're, they're satanist. They're perverts oh. and so on, and they're they're to blame for the uh, the husband's death. Um, there's a line I've, I've written down a note here that someone says. I think George says to Edna, "Oh, Katie, uh, he's got a line that says we're in this mess together. We're in this mess together." And I can't remember which scene it was in, but it's around this. It must be around this time. I thought well, that's quite. That's quite another prescient thing, isn't it? Because that's what we're always being told, isn't it? That we're, we're all in this mm. together. And uh, yeah. by various uh, people in power. Um, I thought Are you suggesting quite... that this film was filmed the tier one, tier two, or tier three? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, in Manchester, it would be tier two slash tier three. We don't quite know yet. Just waiting to hear, aren't we, what, uh, what tier... So uh, I think George hatches a, a plan to pinch the film and get it developed to kind of prove the yeah. innocence. He's like, it I'm not, I'm not going to rely on these, these bloody cappers, you know. To uh, it doesn't take much to uh, distract the stupid police officer in the car, does it? Yeah. He starts talking to Edna how uh, he's put on loads of weight. The Rob, police officer we're just and he, talking about yeah. Christine Elbow, and I think we'd all be distracted, really. Yeah. If she came <laughs> over asking for a. Asking for a light, I think I'd, I'd like to give her one. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about cigarettes, still. Yes, yes, yeah, okay. yes. A, a light. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, they they develop the film. They go to develop the film themselves rather than let the police find it, um, so they can get the pictures of Guthrie, um, you know, attacking. Um, Edna, Edna then gets a message that her sister, a bit later, yeah, they check into the hotel, don't they? The, uh, the old. Oh yeah, they check into the hotel. That's right. Yes, the old owl hotel that actually has an owl perched up in the hotel. <laughs> yeah, that's a live first. owl in there. You, you walk into that place saying, "So, why is this called the?" Oh, I see. There's a big owl up there on the yeah on the perch. And I the see. receptionist is a bit the oh the hotel owner is a bit snooty, and she's just like, "Are you two, are you two uh, involved with the murder?" 
a little I don't, bit. I don't. This is a house of respectability, and George is like, oh, "Don't worry, darling. I don't want to stay here longer than I have to." <laughs> I can kind of imagine Barbara Windsor taking this role. Uh, had it been like a, a UK film, she could have been the. Uh, perhaps I'm just thinking of East End. Oh, get you! <laughs> <laughs> so <I'm> say. Um, <laughs> We don't like so, these hippie types in here, you know. <laughs> they're in hospital, and then Edna. Sorry, no, uh, they're in. They're in a hotel, and at the hotel, Edna gets a message that her sister's been mm. taken to. I don't know if you guys know it's a Southgate Hospital. Yeah, um, yeah. It's filmed at Bounce Hospital Cheadle, which was a working hospital at the time, um, but now is a derelict hospital um, in Cheadle. Oh, that's and, interesting. Uh, and I, be- I believe uh, that's. All the interior shots were shot in Italy, so that's why yeah. only the exterior was used. Yeah. Uh, okay. So it was actually a hospital. Yeah, one of those dodgy old Victorian hospitals, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a youth hostel stop or something, like a YHA. There's loads of them in the lakes, isn't there? But, uh, mm. yeah. So then George is in a hospital and he, he finds kind of um, bodies. He sees bodies being carried out of the back in kind of these metal sealed what seem like to be metal coffins. They are really thick metal coffins, aren't they? They're the strangest coffins I've ever seen. Yeah, I don't, I don't coming, know. Coming I, I'm not sure if that the reason for that was ever revealed. or, or I don't know. They, they looked odd anyway. And um, inside the hospital, George goes and has a bit of a nosy with a, you know, smoking everywhere. And um, they he, 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 he kind of starts speaking to the doctor and then the doctor starts explaining to him about this aggressive newborn baby. Um, oh yeah, yeah. He's a really it, weird doctor, isn't he? He's like uh, George is looking at the uh, the coffins, and uh, he's like, uh, "Do you want one? They're perfect for the long uh, vo- voyage home. How about <laughs> it, young man? You know, sh- should I make a reservation for you?" It's like I, I think really... I think that's that's another obviously shipman shipman case that never got that never got brought to. Um, yeah. There's a lot of malpractice, a lot of malpractice going on in that hospital. Isn't there? <laughs> he, he enjoys the uh, mortuary a bit too much, I think. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, there's this kind of aggressive newborn baby that manages to bite George's finger after it's bitten the eyeball of a, of a nurse. Mm. And he's saying, "What's causing the aggressive behaviour in this uh, in this young baby?" And of course, we, being the uh, knowledgeable viewers that we are, we know what's causing it. It's that we bloody machine in that field. <laughs> <laughs> And George puts two and two together, doesn't he? He's he's getting onto it now. And and the doctor, George kind of tells the doctor about the the ultrasound machine. And the doctor suddenly says, that's very interesting. I'd like to see it. And then the next scene, (laughs) they just just walk out and they're they're both there just looking at the uh, the ultrasonic machine. Yeah, so perhaps not the best doctor, uh, whatever his name is. Yeah, and the, uh, the scientists are just like... Doctor, you're a man of science. You you don't think there's anything to this. We're surrounded by radiation, and I'm not attacking you, am I? You know, it's just completely. But uh, the doctor kind of just gives up pretty easy, doesn't he? He's like, there's no way the government's going to listen. They don't listen to us on on more serious things, you know. So there's no point. We might as well give up. Yes, it does feel that way sometimes, doesn't it? Um, So after this scene, um, they go to collect. George goes to collect the uh, the photographs. That he's, that he's asked uh, to be developed mm. at this little shop. Um, su- surprisingly enough, they the photographs are developed and there's nothing, no sign of Guthrie on them at all. No Guthrie, yeah. Um, no. Lo, lo and behold, who's behind George in the shop? The inspe- the, uh, the sergeant. The he finds them 
And of course, he knows now who's stolen the uh, the evidence, and this throws even further suspicion on them. This confirms uh, it to the to the sergeant, doesn't it, that they are responsible? And he just has to pin. They <laughs> they don't arrest them at this point, which yeah. I thought was a bit odd. I thought, why this, they just this was go? one of my. Uh... This was one of my favourite scenes because you get the classic line. Do you want to? Do you want to go for it, Carl? The uh, oh, was the it critique of uh, George? Yeah, and what is it he says? You're all the same, the lot of you, with your long hair and faggot clothes, drugs, sex, every sort of filth. You young people with your <laughs> drugs, sex, and every sort of filth. <laughs> I thought that would be that would be a great line for the uh, the intro, you know, like the, uh, the the lines from Night of the Living Dead. I thought that would be a great line for uh, you know a, a future episode of the uh, the podcast. <laughs> yeah, drugs, sex, and all that So um, yes, because the sergeant has for some reason not arrested George and Edna, um, they they go they go looking for Guthrie in the um, in the church kind of crypt. Through the uh, through the graveyard, the cemetery. Um, mm. Sure enough, they go they go into the crypt, and there's a casket that should have Guthrie's body in it, and it, it's not there. It's empty. And again, empty. Uh, I think this is another kind of nod to Night, Night of the Living Dead. Taking it into the taking the action into the crypt, which is kind of a confined environment. This is like you know the Night of the Living Dead, where mm. uh, the setting is just a house, and they're trapped. Although yeah, they're not here in this setting for long, I thought this was like another bit of a nod to... This is, a, this is 50 minutes in, this bit, I remember, yes. yeah. in the film, because yeah. I, I kept on looking there to think, because obviously we're very spoiled with modern horrors, aren't we? We get lots of things given to us. So you have to, you know, it's a film that you work with, isn't it? You have to, uh, you have yeah. to stay with it, because it it's, yeah. it's quite, you know, it's, it's main criticism that people give it is its pace. You know, but I think seventies seventies films generally generally are a little bit slower pace, aren't they? Than uh, they tend to like to explain everything, don't they, and show every journey. You know, where modern films just cut straight to the to the action, don't they, a little bit? But uh, I can forgive it that. Yeah, it's all it's quite nice spending ninety minutes on you know, on a cold autumn evening. Um, you know, in front of in front of the TV and these kind of characters and zombies company, I think. And it's a bit of a reminder of home as well for us. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> <Yeah. strange. laughs> so yeah. there's, uh, there's blood dripping down all the walls of the crypt, isn't there? I think he looks up into one of the alcoves and there's just a body with bleeding from the eyes. That's right, yes. Yeah, so, so it looks it's like Guthrie's been having a bit of fun. Yeah, they're probably shut in by someone. Someone shuts the mm. kind of door from the outside. I don't know if that's Guthrie who does that. Because he he appears and <clears throat> and starts to attack them, of course. Um, yeah, Edna's, Edna's got a very posh scream, hasn't she, all the way through? Oh, God! gets some of the pouring blood, yeah. doesn't he? He gets some yeah. of the pouring blood yeah. from the wall, and he kind of anoints the other bodies in the crypt by kind of dabbing dabbing their eyes with this blood. Yeah, bring some. That was a pretty cool idea. Yeah, yeah that's pretty cool. idea. I, I, I really thought so. There's kind of a, I think it's a bit of a religious um, undertone to that, um, mm. which isn't surprising, I suppose, from an Italian-Spanish co-production. Anyway, yes, they they, they do manage to escape from the. Um, is it that there are three three Walking Dead in the crypt now? They manage to escape out of the um, the dug. There's like a hole in the wall, isn't there? Yeah, a hole in the wall, which kind of leads out from a uh, leads out to a dug uh, dug grave. 
the call from is this, uh, the, is this the police officer bit? The police yeah, officer. Craig. Craig shows up and uh, they Craig. kind of all manage to escape, Craig. but they're soon driven. Craig, yeah. you silly bastard! Keep your radio on, you lad. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they're all kind of they're all forced back into the church, but obviously Craig drops his uh, radio. Um, and then they happen to find a loaded gun on a church wall because every church in in Manchester has to have a, a loaded gun on the wall. They're just, they're you know, just needed, you know. They they are needed yeah. in case the the dead rise. Simple as that. And uh, um, he's not a great shot, though, is he, Carl? Did you? Uh, he kind of took a, a few inches off her, gave her a bit of a haircut, I think. <laughs> yeah, and this this is where we find out, of course, that the rules are different for these zombies because the uh, the old lady zombie takes a headshot and yeah. does it stop her. No, no, it's, 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 uh, it doesn't stop her. There's um, only one thing can stop them. We find out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they kind of con- concoct a plan, or, or Craig really he suggests a plan. He's, he's a bit foolhardy, really, to make a run for his radio. Craig he literally yeah. doesn't. <laughs> crazy Craig. He's just he's just crazy. If he <laughs> if he was in Star Trek, he'd be wearing red. He's he's, he's dead meat. As soon as you see Craig, you know he's dead meat. <laughs> uh, all the way he's the antagonist of this film isn't he yeah. um, and uh, so the yeah. zombies are waiting for him outside they're just holding up uh, a whole tombstone they're just holding yeah, up they're, uh, they're strong yeah yeah launch this uh, on top of him he doesn't stand a chance really does he well, zombies the, so the the living dead walking dead whatever you want to call them they they end up uh, you know they, they they get Craig they pin him down they end up beating him uh, yeah, well, that was one of the glorious scenes, wasn't it? Yeah, and it's um, yeah, and this is one of the um, the the, the rumours about the lost scene, isn't there? Because there's a, there's a bit where the old lady reaches down to grab his eyes, and there's all this debate uh, which I've read about about uh, the lost eyeball scene. Uh, right. Is there a sequ- is there a sequence somewhere mm-hmm. for her enjoying a bit of eyeball eyeball pate? But <laughs> we kind of, I don't know if it's just after. And there's no eyeball there, or if some no. ghost one out, and it just kind of does a weird, slightly weird cut. Oh, that's yeah, because it's a really, it, it's a really gross scene where they're eating like you know intestines, but they thought an eyeball was too much. It's yeah. like, <laughs> no, we don't want to go there. I don't know if I've watched a different version, but there's a bit where she's eating something. It looks like an eyeball. I don't no, know. she reaches but, down. She reaches down, yeah. there's a, and the shot goes behind, and then she's yeah. obviously eating. The eyeballs, but you know mm. that, the whole. You don't, is it, yeah, you don't see graphic detail. Yeah. Um, so George and Edna escape, and poor Craig is um, is eaten, and the uh, the sergeant thinks because there's no response from the radio that you know George and Edna have probably um, probably used their satanic ways to uh, well not only not only kill the uh, uh, Craig the policeman, but also they've 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 burned. Um, they've burnt the zombies, haven't they? They've they found the yeah. fire. The, uh, the the detective thinks they've desecrated graves. They've done, you know, they've they've killed somebody yeah. and eaten them. And you know, it's like yeah, bloody yeah, satanists. It fuels this fire, <laughs> proves his theory to him even more. That's um, why if you so, watch this in Easy Rider, you realise you have to get your hair cut. Or there's a lot of judgments in there. <laughs> and he, he gives like a shoot to kill order, even though none of them have got guns. But yes. uh, he kind of yeah, he's getting oh, pretty yeah. serious now. Yeah. And funnily enough, there's a story I read, and I think it might be in the booklet from the DVD release years ago, that there was a the um, the chief of police in Manchester in the 1980s was a chap called James Anderton, mm. and apparently he was really keen for this film to be um, confiscated 
because of the depiction, Arthur Kennedy's depiction of the, of the GMP. Sergeant, yeah, yeah, because it was, you know, it was all kind of high, uh, kind of this almost um, fire and brimstone um, <clears throat> kind of portrayal of a, of a, you know, a, a police officer, and he, that was something that he was accused of. Uh, yeah, suggesting that the police are full of uh, bigots and racists, which of course, because <laughs> you don't want to make that suggestion. It's it? so outdated now, isn't it? That there's certainly none of that now. Yeah. No. But apparently, this is why GM, GMP were particularly keen on seizing this particular film. Uh, it might be a myth, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past them, would you? I mean, especially with them. No, no, it sounds very plausible. Yeah. Anyway, uh, George escapes, and then he uh, he tries to shut down the machine, but he's prevented from doing that. Um, but it's here that he learns that the um, the machine's ultrasonic uh, radiation machine's range has been increased to Ooh, five miles. It was only at one. When you look at the prop for that machine, you think it would have an, a range of about five meters, don't you? <laughs> but it's certainly spinning faster near the end of the film. So yeah, five miles is plot. Yeah, it dawns on George here that actually the the bodies bodies in the morgue um, are probably likely to be um, becoming animated very very soon. Yeah, yeah. Edna at this point is kind of on a separate um, investigation. She returns to her sister's house and finds. Um, Martin, I think it's Martin, is it? The, the, zo- the zombie husband. Yeah. Zombie husband. Yeah. 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 to fight him off. At this point, George reappears um, and they, they run they run Martin over. Uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> he doesn't have a good run in this film, does he, Martin? He doesn't, it's not going well for him. So. <laughs> you know, it, yes, I'm sure he gets, I don't know about uh, running, but he seems to get to all these locations on foot very quickly because he hasn't got a car, don't forget. So I think he's like yeah, Usain Bolt or something. Yeah. Where are we up to? So George and Edna now got by car to uh, to a petrol station. Mm. He grabs a can of kerosene in order to presume the lap. Paraffin. The Scottish lady calls it paraffin. Very distinctive item. Yeah, because she's Scottish, isn't she? That's right. And he leaves. Um, Edna, for some reason, stays at the petrol station. I can't remember why. There's Um, like a Down syndrome daughter, isn't there? And uh, she goes to grab the whiskey and she's like, don't don't give her the whiskey. She she might not have any bloody money. Yeah. It's one of those. It's yeah. one of those scenes where you think. I mean, they wouldn't. They wouldn't have put a scene like that in a film now. And it's, it's done very quickly, but at the same time, I think it's a tiny, little bit distasteful. Poppycock. Um, we find out later that she basically trashed the the gas, the uh, petrol station, and ended up heading to the hospital. I think. Well, that's right, yeah. 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 So she's, she's certainly very traumatized, and so, all of a sudden, very violent, but off screen. Mm. Um, George returns to the house himself, but it's a trap, and the police are waiting for him, and they arrest him. Yeah. Um, but this just uh, later on, he just he manages to escape from custody. Uh, he returns to um, Southgate Hospital again, um, and at the garage. Yeah, from the garage, it seems Edna's been escorted to the Southgate Hospital. Um, so George heads off that way, but the police are in hot pursuit now. They're they're following him, and back at the hospital, things are really kicking off because the <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I would say it's, it's my favorite. My favorite sequence is the hospital. Yeah. Sure. We we know things are things are happening now. Um, so yeah, there's there's some carnage at the hospital. The, the bodies that we saw a bit earlier on have all kind of been reactivated. I think the poor doctor tries to fight some of them off, but um, mm. gets an axe head for his trouble. Um, the, uh, the, 
the nurse on the reception desk. She, yeah, she gets to- slowly uh, killed by a, a group of them, and, uh, and then there's a gratuitous breast scene, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, she they rip her breasts off and yeah. take her innards out. Apparently, the director chose uh, the actress because she had quite small breasts, so they could put the the, the fake breast on a, a flat chest. Oh, um, but yeah. She was a friend of his wife's or something, I think he said. Yeah. Wow. Friend of my wife. Would you mind just uh, stripping off? <laughs> Would you like a part in a film? Yeah. <laughs> get your small boobs out. <laughs> 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 um, my name's George. Yeah, so the, director, the director's name is George. Mm. So I wonder if... Yeah. Uh, Jorge. Kind of... Jorge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's Spanish listeners gone. Um, yeah, so and um, so the sister, Kate, is it Katie, the sister? Yeah, trying to escape with the doctor, and uh, she goes up in the lift and manages, seemingly manages to evade the uh, the zombies because yeah. she's on her way. I don't know how she knows she's there, but she's on the way to find Edna, who's also now in the hospital. She um, just knows. Just knows because sisters can feel these things. She finds she finds the room that Edna's now in, and yeah. she walks, but she's walking a bit strangely, and all is not as it as it appears because no. Katie is in fact now one of the Walking Dead, and she starts to attack Edna by I think she she got a pair of scissors and she plunges it into her. Yeah, repeatedly she stabs her about three or four times. Yeah, she survives that for a little while, doesn't she, Edna? Yeah. Um, so anyway, all this is going on. George eventually rocks up. And he can hear Edna, and he he runs up the stairs trying to trying oh, to get. Oh, hang to on, we've we've uh, can we just go back? Uh, yeah. We've missed out the uh, George interrogation scene, uh, <laughs> the sergeant, um, and yeah. this is where he uh, he gets accused of being a satanist, and he's the, mm-hmm. they're saying the uh, this uh, this uh, artifact that they've got, where it's like a a Buddha tweaking a nipple. And he yeah. said, "No, I was just taking that up to some bloke in Windermere, mate." You know. Come on, Mary Poppins. It's not me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's where he, uh, the the sergeant gives him a slap round the chops um, slap, as well, he? and he, he makes the famous uh, tea towel escape. I don't think I've ever, ever seen a, a tea towel used to escape from from uh, from the clutches of the police, really. But that's yeah, he managed to escape yeah. out of a window. Police want to make a gun where Liz Nielsen <laughs> would like throw a towel at someone's face and they go. Oh! <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was like a steaming hot towel, yeah. yeah. It, 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 uh, yeah. One of those Chinese restaurant towels or something, yeah. It's, it's um, yeah. But he shows up at the hospital a bit too late, doesn't he? Because I think uh, Katie's is late because already got Katie. the contact lenses. Edna's a zombie. Poor Edna's a zombie as well. Um, Katie and Edna, yeah. So uh, George gets there and he thinks Edna, but he has a look at her eyes and yeah. just. Uh, Kind of go red. but she's a hot zombie. Yeah, so. I think I'd. She could, she could <laughs> would, bite he still, me. would he still take a chance? <laughs> well, away from like the festering wounds, you'd probably be okay, wouldn't you? Forty Second Street in Manchester, you probably see worse sights in there, Rob. You know what I mean? She does look like a girl from back in the day, doesn't she? She's like got red eyes. She looks like she's had one too many zambucas, and she's uh, she's willing to go in for it. <laughs> George is horrified at this point because Edna, he knows Edna's gone. But right behind him, who should turn up? The sergeant. 
Yeah, but um, he pushes it, doesn't he? Push him into a room, an inferno, a room which is yeah, in. Yeah, like, he uh, he lights his axe on fire and then starts. Uh, yeah, lighting, there's, like, there's a tower in inferno. There's a room which just uh, contains the fire. <laughs> this one tower <laughs> in inferno room, he, he pushes zombies into. Yeah. Anyway, the the, the sergeant turns up and he's loaded, and yeah. the sergeant doesn't doesn't mess about. He must shoot him about five yeah. or six times. He does. Yeah. Without even thinking about it. And of course, poor poor George is. Um, oh, he's dead. He's brown bread. Yeah, I didn't yeah, give. You a, get the. Uh, yeah. You get the classic line, don't you? I wish the dead could come back to life, you bastards, so I could kill you again. <laughs> yeah, you get, well, well, yeah, spoiler alert! He gets his wish a little bit, but sorry uh, for my Irish accent. Anybody who's Irish, I don't know. What you, and this was the other part I thought was a bit like Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead's ending is really kind of bleak. It's the same, is it? Yeah, they're just shot in the head and, yeah, it's horrible. Well, yeah. level, it's, still, it's still a bit of a downer. Of, mm. uh, but that was, that's, that's probably why I realised I wasn't a major fan of this. I, I didn't really care uh, that, George, <laughs> that George was brown bread <laughs> at this point. I just didn't care. I actually, you know, I, you know, I was prepared. I was happy for everyone to die, which, uh, which everyone does actually, yeah, apart from some. Yeah. So next day, everything seems to be kind of right again, and um, you know, there's uh, the police talking to the press, and the inspector decides to um, and give for some reason to give himself a little bit of a break. He's uh, he's had enough of uh, of the events days and he books a room in um what was it lee the owl hotel the old owl hotel yeah there's owl only hotel. one hotel <laughs> you, have to, you have to have an owl you stay there <laughs> apparently the, the director said there was a story where he, he gave the uh arthur kennedy some of his spanish wine he said try this he turned away um, and then look back, and Arthur had necked the entire bottle, oh, and they still oh, had yeah. this scene to film. They yeah. still had the final scene of the movie. So when he's stumbling around, looking a bit bit tired in his hotel, I think he was a bit half caught. Well, he was final dying to get up lying on that bed, wasn't he? That's all he wanted to do. Yeah. And then um, sadly, he had to do with some acting for a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so what he, he says he wants to get some peace and quiet away from this, he calls it permissive rot. So he's yeah. uh, he's <laughs> yeah. his venom, uh, his fury, even even to the bitter end. Um, but in the hotel, of course, who should be waiting for him in the room that he books? Yeah. The zombie George. Zombie George. George. I mean, how how what is the radius of all this action? You know, because <laughs> how far are these zombies walking? Because I've been to Derbyshire and I've been to the lakes. You know, you can drive for miles. And it, it's just, they have a homing signal, don't they? they just manage George to... is Usain Bolt, you know, Rob. You know, he's just he's, he's got a great distance on him. He's, he's got a great speed. Here, isn't he? You know, he's, he can imagine being quite a quick quick runner. Maybe he was on his motorbike. <laughs> yeah, are they suggesting that these zombies, the undead, as well, maintain vendettas from when they were alive as well? Because George is definitely targeting him. You know, he could have killed anyone, couldn't he? He could have killed everyone in the Owl Hotel. He could have Gosh, killed all <laughs> these zombies of what they're doing. Because there, there must be an element of consciousness there if he's, if he's deliberately uh, targeting the, uh, the sergeant, which he, he There is well. a degree of intelligence because they do kind of bit of teamwork as well we see like two zombies carrying a tombstone don't we at one point yeah, and right. things that's like that so there is a degree and you know kind of uh they almost high five don't they 
They almost high five. <laughs> you viscerate that one, and I'll viscerate this one, and uh, we'll meet up in the middle. <laughs> zombies. <laughs> no, we can go to um, before we move on to H three because we're at the end now. But we can we could talk about. I mean, I'll, 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 as devil's advocate, you know, I've already said a couple of times it's not the film for me, but I can appreciate big. In it. You know, as I said, it's, it's got some good scenes, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah, I can understand why it's a cult film. Yeah, definitely. It's the got photography, some the photography, and it's beautiful, and it's the the soundtrack's great. And but the pace did kill me. You know, I was walking dead by the end. And you said ninety minutes, and I I I'll have to double check because it felt like I'd, I'd been sat there for three hours at some <laughs> point. I'd, I'd lost feeling in certain parts of my limbs, and they were like dead. <laughs> and um, yeah, it, it, and maybe I just need to watch a few more dubbed films as well because the dubbing really threw me out of the film for for a large portion. Um, it's that's you know that's the that's my critique of it, but it's yeah, yeah. it's not perfect. I mean, yeah. it's it's got only got six point eight on IMDb for a reason, but it, I can understand why it has attracted the cult aficionados. To this movie, you know, because it has got some standouts. Um, I was going to say, I, I, I think, of course, it's a film with its problems. Um, but Rob, I was, I was saying to you a little earlier that I'm a kind of film watcher who um, I will accept certain things in a film being perhaps not quite as they should be if yeah. there's enough interesting stuff going on around it. So for for me, this film has um, good and interesting plot. It's got a good soundtrack. Um, it's it's just that you know it's one of those films that's got an interesting kind of story and history to it. Um, yeah. And for all and and for all those reasons, I think uh, for me, I've I've got to send this uh, send this great film flying away on that on that helicopter to freedom because uh, yeah, it's a film that I've kind of come back to quite a few times and um, I've I've always enjoyed this one. And also, as you said, I've given, I've given this to people and they've they've enjoyed it too. It's one of those I've thought, oh, I think someone else might enjoy this. And uh, occasionally they have. Is the more is the living dead morgue going to the morgue? Well, for me, it stays in the morgue, and which is fine because it's about <laughs> it's the living dead at the morgue, and it can stay in the morgue. But I have to admit, you know, if it'd be a shame if it didn't exist, because like you said, there's not many films set in Manchester, uh, even though it's not really set in Manchester. <laughs> and <there's, laughs> and it, but it does. Is there a morgue? It's an. Is there even a morgue in Manchester in that? In the film, though, isn't it? But uh, no, it's uh, it's just the van with Manchester Morgue on the back, wasn't it? Yeah, it was just the, yeah. for some reason they have they, they have to send everything to the Lake District. I don't know why. <laughs> but <laughs> this is where I contradict myself because I think it is in, an important film, and because I do love film, I have to say that it'd be a shame if it didn't exist. So therefore, I'm probably yeah. suge- I'm probably suggesting it should survive because if I put it in the market, it doesn't survive. <laughs> right so you you two are going to have to convince me halloween 3 is a good film because i don't i just want to say to everybody just don't bother with this film really so i'm, I'm going to sit back and let you two discuss this really. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm quite passionate about this film that like halloween 3 season of the witch right um it gets a lot of stick. It, it literally, you type it in, you type it in on Google, you type it in on a film review, and it goes one of two ways. Either it is slated as the worst uh, film in a sequence of films, you know, and uh, or it's slated as a, a hidden masterpiece by a, a small group of people, which I <laughs> include myself as one of them. 
And I think part of it is like what Cal just mentioned earlier, just like I said about 10 minutes previous, is that it's got enough good in it and enough key moments to keep you into it. And it and it's completely flawed. You know, it's completely flawed. The plot alone is insane. Um, yeah, it's the plot is insane. There's no, you know, Michael Myers. We have to say that it's called Halloween Free, but it's, I was chatting with Carl about this, and it's it's it was the idea was it's supposed to be an offshoot under the Halloween banner, but obviously to sell tickets at the box office, they called it Halloween Free, and then Season of the Witch because it's it's set in the Halloween world, but it's not Michael Myers. And then that's I think for most people when you start watching it, you are immediately taken aback. I remember as a kid being waiting for Michael to, and then suddenly it's a, it's about some crazy witch who wants to take over the world and kill children. Uh, <laughs> I will say the soundtrack is bloody amazing. The first, the opening credits, the uh, the music yeah, is amazing. It, it's like it, futuristic, it very like different it. from Halloween one and two. I did like that. Yeah, as soon as John Carpenter's like soundtrack comes in, it gets you, and it and and the the pace is not bad actually. You know, it, it does have a, a few lucky moments. Um, the main character, like you said earlier, like George, has got big dick syndrome. Uh, <laughs> big dick energy. Yeah, he's. They, they kind of look like each other, don't they? Which was, you know, obviously we're doing. We call this tonight's podcast like Halloween Free versus Living Dead. He is similar to George, isn't he? He is very similar. He's like George, a bit older, and because it's set in, you know, it's nineteen eighty. Is it eighty four? Uh, Halloween Free. Two actually. Eighty two. Right. So, and uh, one was Living Dead at the Manchester Mall. That was seventy four. So six years later, we can imagine it, it's, it's six years later, George somehow survived and he became a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he moved to uh, this beautiful little town called Shamrock, uh, uh, Silver Shamrock. And uh, yeah, and uh, so, I mean, straight away from the opening soundtrack and we are, it takes a while for the main plot to unravel, doesn't it? Uh, that's the, the, the big thing with it. I mean, the, the plot is this, that is, it's, it's the holiday Halloween season. Um, children seem to be coming uh, addicted to uh, buying these, uh, uh, the latest crazies, these Halloween masks made by the Silver Shamrock Company. And um, we are introduced in the first few minutes, isn't it, to a man who's escaped. It looks like he's escaped from that factory or something, uh, from the factory, the Silver mm. Shamrock factory. And he is literally hunted down by these otherworldly, like almost like android esque uh, killers, aren't they? But this like, guy, they, they just look like guys in suits. Yeah, yeah, they're like and exactly. And it's, yeah, and uh, can we discuss the possible spoiler here that there's no um, Michael Myers and uh, no Jamie Lee, Jamie Lee Curtis in this? T- technically, we we can mention basically the weird another thing which people critique is that you know about it is that. It's set more in our world, isn't it? So it's like another world, but it's a world where Halloween is just a film because there's clips of Halloween, isn't there, on the TVs? Yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, and, and Halloween is a film, a classic film. It actually even lords its own classic status, doesn't it? I am actually willing to forgive it for that because I think it's actually quite a cool idea to have a Halloween-themed uh, film every year, like a... A kind of uh, Twilight Zone film, you know, that's that's released every every Halloween. I'm, I'm kind of willing for, to uh, forgive it for that, to be to be honest. But, uh, it's it's worth mentioning. I think the problem this film had was they they marketed it in such a way that they weren't clear 
and I think lots of people expected mm. yeah. you know, when it came out for it to be another another Michael Myers film. As uh, I did when I was a kid, I flicked on, you know, flicked it on, expecting to see, you know, Michael stalking around and you know, his usual slasher thing, and it's not. It's yeah. but it is something else, and it's you know what you know what I saw and what I remember. I really enjoyed. It will be interesting to see what the reaction to this film would be if they just called it Season of the Witch. Yeah. Know? In the uh, kind of Harley three bracket around it, it creeped the hell out of me. The idea of the, you know being trapped in the mask. Uh, there's a scene in it with the boys, and we're going to talk about later. Really loved the beginning of the film. I thought it was very atmospheric. The uh, kind of thunder and the lightning. The guy running away from this weird suited guy yeah. and uh, sort of makes his way to that garage, doesn't he? And the, what does he say? That they're coming. Or, you know, he's yeah, it's the threat. Like yeah. they're here. Like you know, and it's yeah, straight yeah, away. Yeah. Is that pre- and, and also this is John Capital, you know, it's it, it, you know the idea that this this unseen force is coming towards you, and it's it's a shift away from the old you know slasher film in that sense. There's this un- emotion, you know, it's got this study emotionless killers, but they are like working in unison. They are obviously like otherworldly, non-human androids, robots. We you know, mm. um, yeah, it's great, and uh, and uh, the, the opening. Um, some of the deaths in it are quite, you know, I think it gets laughed at a little bit. Some of the deaths in it, they are quite all <laughs> gratuitous, aren't they? There's a, there's a, yeah. there's a, tr- a tramp, a tramp on the dock, you know, and he gets his head pulled <laughs> off. There's lots of crushing because these are like, you know, there's remorseless robots. I think a lot of the scenes in this were probably added after they'd finished the film because um, I don't know if you guys know, but this was originally written by a, gentleman called Nigel Neal, who, who was responsible for, he's like a British science fiction writer, and he'd written things like uh, Quatermass in uh, yeah. in England. And Carpenter approached him and just said to him, can you write a script called Halloween 3 and um, kind of see what you come up with? So the Season original, of the Witch? <laughs> so the original idea was his, but he ended up taking his name off the credits, and his name doesn't appear in the credits uh, anymore. So I, I do wonder if perhaps they they changed and messed with it quite you know quite enough for him to kind of think oh I need to take my name off this now I wonder if yeah. these it's... added scenes of gore made him think oh, this is this isn't my film anymore I do wonder if perhaps there was something a bit more cerebral uh, in mind um, you know in the in the first yeah because the it's got a message. I mean, the message is not as you know, it's not as it's not as um, nuanced as uh, like the last film, but it's definitely got a message. It's about the over commercialization of Halloween. It's about Halloween just becoming just the gimmick that you package up in your cell, and everyone's everyone's forgotten the true meaning of it yes. and the true like you know. It's quite a dark side to Halloween where it comes from, and that's that's the big core message. It's just got kids banging on these creepy masks and you know collecting candy and stuff in the faces. Yeah. But there's, um, and that's what, that's why we're vulnerable, isn't it? The, the nemesis in the film is playing on that vulnerability it's that we've forgotten what it is. That's where we're vulnerable with the, with the kind of mass consumerism of this, yeah. this particular product. Yeah, you can't talk about H3 without mentioning that as soon as you mention Halloween 3 to anyone, they immediately sing the song. Horathon, and remember the big giveaway at nine. 
Don't miss it. And don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time. <laughs> and yeah, I'm not going to, you know, because um, I. I feel half of this movie, like 45 minutes of this movie, is this advert. I think that... <laughs> yeah, there's, so there's an advert. Yeah, the advert in the film is... Um, so it's the London Bridge is Falling Down theme, but it's been changed, the jingle, to uh, how many days to Halloween, and it goes silver. So it goes, 10 more days to Halloween, Halloween, and it does the same thing. But it gets faster. As the film goes on, that advert, you see it more and more and more, and it's got loads of, loads of images of children wearing the creepy masks, sitting in front of the TV, waiting for this advert. And the advert's promising that on Halloween night, there'll be a grand event. I've got a theory here. I think because you two are dads and I'm not, I think you two are more used to hearing adverts, annoying adverts. And for me, I just found every time that came on, it just really grated me. It, it is. kind of like chalk on a, you know, on a blackboard. <laughs> but it's so, I think that's it. That's it's, you know I saw it years ago pre dad, and uh, it's supposed it's supposed to jingle. It's supposed to be tedious. It's supposed to be kind of yeah. deliberately fashioned to to be like that. In in that, sense. well, half of the movie is this advert. It's it's it is like um it's it's those tedious adverts you do get on children's telly where adults phase out and the child takes it in, and that's the whole. You know, the whole yeah. thing that these kids being, the kids immersing themselves into thinking Halloween's about stuff in the face and wearing silly masks. And that's, that's you know, it hasn't got many messages, this film. Children um, looking for yeah. candy. Yeah. So we'll go on to plot. Uh, the plot is the, this man, he was uh, being chased by down by these um, awful robot things. He um, he ends up in hospital, doesn't he? Yeah. Oh, the hospital. Yeah. Yeah, in the hospital. And, of course, the chase is not over. In the hospital, we have um, the the merciless uh, zombie, whatever they are, robots. Uh, we don't know what they are yet. Yeah. The androids, yeah. We have them. And one of them enters the hospital and kills him in a really brutal fashion. Um, yeah, what was it, like a kind of poking through his yeah. eye or something or crushing his eye sockets yeah it's totally unnecessary he could just like you know could easily turn off his oxygen machine could strangle him but no he he, he, he crushes through his eyes and the, he yeah. coolly walks out you know saunters out of the uh the hospital room and then just past past a nurse who's yeah. sort of catatonic and uh and then he goes outside the hospital jumps in the car and just pours gasoline on himself and lights himself on fire which i think at at this moment in the film i'm like i'm down with this film this is this is shit hot you know this is this is amazing but Uh, we are introduced to our protagonist then he's the doctor what's the doctor called Uh, um we said he's like dr chalice Doctor Chalice, yeah, Doctor Chalice with a tash and slicked hair, and he's a he's a drinker, drinker, smoker, ladies' man, and we know this because in the first few minutes of meeting him, he chats to the another nurse on duty and pats her on the bum, and she loves it. He um, he flirts with another doctor on on duty, and he wants to take him for dinner. Um, and he's there's a lot of mentions of taking women for dinner, <laughs> and he does very little doctoring, doesn't he? In the first few minutes, he literally tells people what to do, he's and he's a little bit a love doctor, isn't he? He's a love doctor, <laughs> and he's <laughs> joyous sex again. But he's he's he, he um and he's immediately interested in this case, isn't he? About because and because the man who got killed, who had his head crushed, he was holding a mask in his hand, wasn't he? A silver shamrock mask it was the pumpkin mask i think 
and that immediately intrigues him to become a, a private investigator and forget that he's a doctor on duty. So hang on, uh, you've forgotten the other trigger, the other main trigger for Dr. Charles. You know, he, he, we know he likes his women. Oh, he loves his women, yeah. The man who's been killed, who should yeah. look at the hospital, lo and behold, he's rather, ate his daughter. <laughs> he's rather attractive, young, uh, <laughs> early 20s, I'd say, daughter. Yeah, and he, Dr. Chalice doesn't, you know, he, he, he's obviously interested, but he's more interested in the woman. And he immediately is prepared to become a private investigator um, and completely forget his duty. And uh, he goes off on a little road trip immediately to look into about this man he was killed, this mysterious man. Um, and it's within minutes, isn't it? They're checking in a motel, don't they, almost instantly. It's like the quick. She finds the father's diary, doesn't she? And, yeah. and she finds this entry about the uh, the masks. His fa- her father going to the town to buy some masks, so they, they yeah. they've got to meet there. And yeah, like you say, they check into the uh, the motel, rather yeah. seedy motel. <laughs> and he, as a gentleman, he says, like he says to her, just to show that you know, me too, a little bit. Well, me too in nineteen in the eighties. He says to her, me he says to her. It doesn't suggest to her that I can sleep on the couch. And she goes, yeah. I'd rather not be alone. And then, and then straight away, he's straight in for the kill. And <laughs> it's a great, um, it's quite a long, um, you know, 80s sex sequence, isn't it? Lots of... Does, uh, uh, does grief tend to make you horny? I don't know. It does seem quite close to uh, a father's death. She's uh, interested in the carnal, carnal affairs. Yeah, and I didn't mention the fact is that when they check into the motel, they, they meet a really obnoxious family, don't they? Buddy Senior and Buddy Junior, I think, isn't it? The dog nearly gets killed by a BMX flying off the back of the, uh, yeah. the car. Only in the yeah. 1980s. In the cinema of the 1980s, does this happen? A flying BMX. <laughs> I think I had that BMX as well, by the way. Yeah, it was pure nostalgia there for that. Well, then the most revolting family, and like, you know, fat dad, fat son, um, wife is too loud and they don't want to listen. And it's, they try and ask them questions. I don't know why they would go to that family to investigate about the father's disappearance. But, and the father is a salesman for the greatest salesman for the Silver Shamrock Company, isn't it? So he's connected to the math as well. And they find out, I think, that the family are going on a, going to visit the factory the following day. Um, but isn't there some, there's some? There's another crime, isn't there? There's another murder, isn't there? That night when they're staying at the motel in between Bowman. Yeah, homeless guy. There's like CCTV everywhere, isn't there? There's, there's also some like weird curfew where everybody's got to be sort of locked away and in in the home by nine o'clock or something, and. Uh, he, I think the doc bumps into the, the uh, homeless guy. Um, oh, yeah. It allows him to swig from his bottle. I don't. It's not very COVID nineteen compliant. <laughs> it's amazing. When I saw that scene, I winced and thought about hand gel. Yeah, he just gives him a swig of his bottle. Yeah, it's COVID nineteen eighty two. COVID was waiting even in eighty two. So, yeah. uh, the homeless guy says, uh, "Yeah, he's got he's got a, an issue because he won't hire any local people." Boss of the factory won't hire any local people, and he's brought everybody in from the outside. Yeah, all these strange-looking people who look the same and walk around his suit. The uh, homeless guy—I don't think we get a name for this guy, do we? But he returns to his uh, his kind of uh, home, would you say, or whatever it is, un- underneath yeah. an underpass, and he's uh, got his cheese from a can. He's got a fine meal that he's preparing himself. <laughs> he's got a second-hand whiskey and cheese. From a can. Squirty it's cheese. Yeah. 
And he, he meets one of those android guys, doesn't he? Who um, murders him in a really violent way. Um, his head's removed and it goes to like a shadow of it for some reason. And, and we see like loads of squirts and spray, don't we? Like a, almost like a party popper going off. Now, at this point, I should just say that in the UK, Halloween 3 has never really, to this day, it's never really been like properly available in, a, in an uncut format. The old VHS. Is it a 15? It's yeah. a 15, and to maintain that 15 yeah. years ago, they cut the film to ribbons. It was like, uh, so this yeah. was out, the, um, the scene with the eyes earlier on was out. Uh, they cut loads out, about two, just over two minutes worth of stuff. And yeah. years ago, I bought a DVD of this uh, in the UK, thinking, oh yeah, cool, widescreen, it'd be uncut. And they still managed to, managed to edit, edit out a couple of uh, gore scenes for some reason, which I thought, well... What's the point in that? It does you don't need to anymore. I'll talk about it, but it crosses the taboo line, doesn't it, with children? You know, basically for years in Hollywood and all, you know, you were not allowed to show any harm befalling children. You know, even like picking them up, throwing them anything. Oh, yeah. But this film, this film has no qualms with that, does it? It doesn't mess it. Okay. No. No. <laughs> the uh, lady in the motel room gets blasted by the silver oh, shamrock. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so she. <laughs> her eyes are blown open, the mouth's blown open, and then we get the locusts or wasps or whatever they are like crawling out of the mouth. Yeah, this, um, I mean, you mentioned um, the filming, you know, the set pieces, these sequences, are the, the, these are the strengths of the film, aren't they? Because it's mm. like that, you know, the effects are pretty decent. It's like she notices the badge, the silver shamrock badge on the back of the mask. She's playing around with it, and then she notices like a microchip of some type, and that immediately sets like a laser beam which like fries her whole face and she like she goes you know at first she just ages terribly and then because it's very 80s latex melty face and dying and um that actually did creep me out a bit because i do have a little thing about stuff coming out of mouths and eyes and stuff like that that does creep me out and um and oh that's what disturbs everyone in the motel isn't it because her body's brought out by the paramedics and the ambulance who just turn up very quickly and 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 the um the doctor uh, pre post coitus uh, and and his and his beautiful eighties lady they run out into the night and they meet the obnoxious family and they could see that somebody's been tucked into the back of an ambulance because he's a doctor he finally remembers that he's a doctor again <laughs> he um he, he informs them that and he says where are you taking them because they're obviously not taking them to a hospital they're taking them to the silver shamrock factory. Which is a bit odd. That's where you take um, patients to a mass fetch. <laughs> yeah, it's the following. Is it the following morning or later on that night? We we get to meet the who turns out to be the villain. Of the yeah, piece. he's he's great. Uh, in it. Yeah, yeah. And he he explains that the uh, the lady was the victim of what he calls a misfire. Yes. Yeah. He gives. We get a bit of exposition from him. We try to get, <laughs> he, why is there something firing in a mask? They should, they should be never, never firing a mask. It's a misfire, and he promises the doctor, who's obviously concerned because he's, you know, he, he did have, um, say the Hippocratic oath and everything. So the doc, he promises the doctor that she'll be fine and she's in full recovery and she'll be better than ever. And um, so the doctor and his, um, his bit, his, his girlfriend, now his girlfriend, although he's uh, the lady he's with, and then um, the whole of American obnoxious family. They're all there in the reception waiting to go on a tour of this uh, Silver Shamrock factory, don't they, aren't they, the following day? And yeah, you yes. get the uh, chief salesman getting a tour, really, and he kind of, uh, the doc and uh, Ellie managed to sort of get in with the tour, yeah. really. Yeah, they kind of tag along, yeah. don't they, really? We see the hand painted 
masks. Yeah, it's and... a very, you know, it's a very, you know, it's so ordinary and dull. It's, and in, you know, I suppose, you know, if you're not a fan of the film at this point, you probably lost you in this bit because you literally it is a tour. You literally watch every minute of the tour. <laughs> you walk around the latex factory and there's a really, you know, really protracted shots of how latex masks are made and, um, you know, it, it could have been cut to like about five minutes, but they go around the whole factory. And there's one room, isn't there? There's a room called a processing room or something. Final processing, which is uh, cordoned off, and that's, you know, like big alarm bells for the dock. Yes. Can't go in there because it's straight out of trade secrets. We'd have to we'd have to tell you everything. And it is, it, is it this point where they're separated from the American family? Are they all still together? I can't remember. But, uh... Yeah, so they get they, um, they do get separated from yeah. them. But I think this is uh, where Ellie sees her dad's ah. car in a like a factory, and the suited guys block her off. Again, it's uh, always trade secret, guys. We can't yeah, show and, you. And they decide to, um, you know, for the, you know, there's not much they can do, so they have to leave, don't they? And they and they head back, but planning on obviously, uh, you know, sneaking into the factory afterwards. But the um, the motel gets raided, doesn't it? Later that evening, by obviously because now the uh, the head of the uh, Silver Shamrock Factory is the is the the, nem- the 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 evil guy in the film. He sent his men to fetch them because he knows that they know something. This is where they get caught, don't they? There's a big chase sequence, isn't there? It goes around the motel. Well, it's that weird bitten robot that he kind of um, the villain says he, he later reveals that he found in, in is something from the late 1800s or oh, something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where I checked out with this knitting robot, and that was from the 1800s. I was like, yeah, okay. yeah, because um, it, he's obviously, yeah. So it, well, it's giving the hint that he's into robotics, isn't it? So it shows that he's, he's fascination. He's got this like a knitting robot. <laughs> Which, yeah, I don't think there was too much robotics going on 110 years. But, ago, um, you know? Yeah, what was? I mean, basically, the doctor and the girl they get um, they get seized, don't they, by the uh, by the robot people. And they get uh, tucked to the factory, and we know at this point now we're going to start finding out what's really going on with these, uh, you know, with the company and the mass. Uh, Carl, do you want to go on to the next bit? They he kind of they, they kind of take him on like the real tour. Yeah, and, uh, the true. They reveal stuff. Yeah, so the real tour, basically, the uh, he's actually um, he obviously uh, him and Ellie have been separated, but he's actually secured to a chair, isn't it? Because uh, obviously they abducted mm. him and. They've secured him to a chair and they put a creepy mask on his face. Um, and they uh, switch the TV on and you can see a picture of the Buddy family being led into uh, a room. That's kind of like yeah, a prison this room. Is where, yeah, this is where we get the full... ...on the door. And, um, of course, they, they say they want them to um, give them their opinions on some new new advertising that they're going to do. So you could sit down and watch the TV. Yeah, and and um, the advert comes on, of course, and uh, the set, and uh, the boy is urged to put on his mask. So the boy puts on his uh, pumpkin mask. Now this is where you know it crosses the line a little bit. You know, in the fact is he puts on the mask. The advert starts to play, and the mask reacts with the advert, and he dies a really horrible, gruesome death, doesn't he, in front of his parents? Yeah, insects, roaches, snakes, spiders, all kind of things coming out of this. Crushed yeah, it, his head uh, crushes slowly, head. and it's you know it's done quite graphically, and then it's and it's a big close-up shot of everything coming out of the mask, and it, of course the snakes and other insects that have escaped, um, you know, 
and take care of the rest of the family while they're in there. So it's quite a long, protracted scene, really. And uh, in some ways, this whole evil layer that he, ha- he has is is almost like a Bond movie. It kind of feels a bit Bond movie fact where he's got, he's got to explain his evil plot, you know, to the dog, doesn't he? And uh, he does the thing as well of placing the hero in an easily escapable situation. Yeah, it's tied to a chair with um, um, the TV on because we know at nine o'clock or whatever uh, after the Halloween Halloween one's being shown on the TV, but we know later on that evening there was a special promotion for Silver Shamrock, and we know now that the promotion is that advert, which will of course if you're wearing a mask, your head's going to shrivel and uh, snakes and spiders are going to come out of your brain. Um, so, and he, he explains in great detail, doesn't he, that why he's doing this. He tells he tells the doctor that um, that basically people have forgotten the meaning of Halloween. It used to be a time for rivers running and blood, children screaming. Um, it, uh, Resurrect the old uh, the old rites of uh, of Halloween yeah. and um, the hills running red. With the blood of animals and children, and he instructs him. It's a simple, simple circuitry, and we and we get lots of shots of all these robot people he's built because we found out he's built them. Are actually putting these um, shamrock chips on the back of all the mass, uh, which is the final process. And we know those chips react to the advert, and they they basically lead to pe- whoever's wearing the mask and sees the the the, 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 the implication being that when this TV broadcast goes out at nine o'clock that. Presumably, families all across America are going to get wiped out by the. Yeah, so. he hasn't. I mean, he hasn't. His end game isn't great, is it? His end game is basically just wants to kill as many people as he can in one night. It's children. He says. Yeah. He says uh, it's a trick on children. You know. Yeah, it's 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 a proper trick or treat, isn't it? It's <laughs> there's no there's no treat. Is there? Very much a trick. Of course, the doctor's horrified, but it's not much he can do. He's stuck in this room with his mask on. But of course, as soon as the uh, the um, the evil toy maker leaves the room, um, he um, he manages to get his mask off, doesn't he? And he manages. And this bit as well, Lee, you mentioned this the other day, where um, Tom Atkins, the uh, the hero, is trying to escape, and because he's watching Halloween on the TV at this point, um, the kind of Halloween themes mm. on, so there's action that's where he's trying to escape where it's the halloween one music yeah. that he's kind of escaping <laughs> to i i quite like that because it kind of it's another throwback yeah. and lee what that you mentioned another yeah it's just, it's just, i would just one. want to mention before lee mentions that that he manages he, he gets his mask off and he manages to in one throw with his arms tethered to throw the mask onto the cctv camera <laughs> in the room <laughs> and we see the uh the picture from the other end it's peering out of the the mask so that's a clear nod to Michael Myers, isn't it, yeah. from the first two films, yeah. really? Yeah. Or the first one where he's killing his Another thing I've just remembered is um, the publicity line for Halloween 3 was um, the night no one comes home, oh. which is a bit of which was the, the line for the first film was, um, I think it's the night, the night he came home, you know, meaning... Oh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the one for this one was the night no one comes home, which so is, it's, you know, it's, a to the plot of the story. As soon as he frees himself he does that perfect 80s thing where you need to escape. Uh, there happens to be an air vent in the room with loose screws. <laughs> you take the air vent down, you get into the air vent and you know you can crawl to, You can crawl where you want and that's what he does. He, he, of course he doesn't want to escape, he wants to find uh, the, his girl doesn't he? Uh, so he, he goes on a little crawl through the air vent. <laughs> the entire operation as well before finding uh, the girl. Oh, oh yeah. Conveniently uh, leads straight to 
the main processing the area. In the, um, yeah, the main processing area, and you can see that at this point, um, they're literally in another world, aren't they? The dot, the, the toy maker, sorry, and the, all these evil minions, they are all staring in one direction. <laughs> just staring in the opposite direction from the dot to escape, and they're just um, busy moving lots of triggers up and down and lots of levers and dials and lots of flashing. This, this, yeah, when Lee said it was like a Bond film, this is the bit where it's like the Bond baby, is it? Lights blinking uh, in and out of sequence for no apparent reason. Press <laughs> uh, the, the red button, yeah. why? Because it's there, press it. Yeah. And he, um, he wants to track down his girl, doesn't he? Well, is, is, or does he get? Does he get? Does he start throwing the chips, or does he get the girl? Finally, before he dumps the, yeah. the chips, I think. He, but he, he knows exactly what to do with these <laughs> chips, and that the will... He finds Ellie. Ellie is like he. Um, in, he I don't know how he's got a, like a, a complete ident memory of the factory, but he managed to find Ellie in a little room. He runs back into the main bed. He goes on the um, the like um. The, the gangway. Tattoos of the place. Yeah, he goes on the gangway above it, which is almost like a theatre setup, isn't it? It's like a gangway above the uh, the main uh, the process of it. Oh, we need to mention a really ludicrous thing: um, uh, the plot. They've literally stolen a large chunk of Stonehenge, haven't they? Um, we forgot to mention that. So basically, oh, yeah. in the middle yeah. of the the auditorium of this, their little uh, setup is a big chunk of Stonehenge because apparently Stonehenge has got magical powers and if you take a piece of stone engine put it in the back of a mask <laughs> on halloween it makes snakes crawl out of your eyes <laughs> stonehenge was like part of the the original yeah. nigel neal script uh, and you know parts of it got kind of chucked out or changed and and it's kind of become a bit of an irrelevance really it's it's they don't even explain they can't even be bothered to explain i always thought this was lazy in this film they never even bothered to explain like how they yeah Stole. He does say. He does say. He does say. Doesn't he? The um, the toy maker. He does say. He does say. It was a. He admits it was. We had. A, we had a time taking it. Well, like he laughs about how difficult it was. It was so difficult. We didn't really explain it. So. <laughs> anyway, he steals a box of um, silver shamrock chips, and he goes on the gangway above the uh, above the control console, and he he suddenly realizes if you throw these chips down. It's going to malfunction every single android in the place. Well, I don't know how he realizes it, but he throws them all down and they fry everyone, don't they? They and they also, and they surround they surround the toy maker because the the broadcast is on TV, isn't it? And so by throwing the, the mask down, he's causing you know the masks to react to it, and they're all kind of firing off yeah. those lasers at the and the, t- the toy maker benignly smiles up at him and like gives him a nod as much to say, "Well played, old chap." Well played, like, Bond. He's like, it's well, isn't he? It oh, is God. like a Doctor No scene, is it? It's like, well done, basically Moonraker. Well done, Mister Bond. And then he he gets fried, doesn't he, by like a giant laser which comes out of Stonehenge, and it uh, and it and it fries him to bits, and he just you know he's gone. And you think it's over, but of course it's not over because we know that the advert's still going to broadcast at nine, and we still and it cuts wow. to loads of children all over America. And also, don't forget, um, Ellie is an android and attacks Dan yeah. as well. Spoiler, well, we've got this spoilers all over this, but yeah, Ellie is an android, and now we talked about this like she's an android and she tries to attack him and he's forced to kill her. But we talked about whether she was always an android or whether she became one when processed. <laughs> did, did he know she was an android and he just liked sleeping with robots? She's a sex robot, obviously, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 I think there's a case for her having always been a robot. I mean, I, when, I, when I watched it when I was younger, I always thought 
oh, they chase her into a robot yeah. when they're at the factory. But maybe think about this, like the, the dad was there. What is the dad at the start of the film running away from? Perhaps the yeah. daughter was there too. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't seem too, con- too concerned about her dad. No, she's only interested in sex with all guys. She's only interested in sex with old dudes. Because there was um, a, a, this 25 years difference between the, uh, the actor and the actress in the film. And it is noticeable, you know, she is like... <laughs> also, a little side note about this actress, I was read about her, she was uh, Woody Allen's uh, girlfriend when she was 17. He was 44 and he was 17, so it's like life imitating art in this film. What a guy, Woody Allen is, eh? Crikey. Yeah, yeah. He, he likes him, he likes him, doesn't he? Well, anyway, um, so after he kills her, you know, we thought there was a bit of a bond. He, he tries to show a bit of emotion about what he's just done. But there's not much, and then, and then he suddenly realizes he realizes the advert's got to play. He's got to warn everyone, and there's a bit of like um, you know invasion of the body snatchers moment, isn't there? Where he's running, he's running around wide eyes, yeah. shouting, "What's going to happen?" And nobody believes him. You know, like take the mask off. He tries calling home, doesn't he? Because his own children, his own children have got shamrock masks. He's like, take the mask off. Don't watch it. Change the channel, change yeah, the he, channel. He manages to get it, he manages to get some people to convince him to, oh no, because he, he destroyed the radio signal, didn't he? I think he managed to switch like two or three stations off, but it's still running. It's still the third channel, he channel. calls it, and he says that he shouts, uh, stop the third channel, stop the third. So I, one of us kept on saying that, I kept on thinking of ITV. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a British reference if you're American listeners to this. so yeah stop the third channel and they're like turn off Granada <laughs> turn off Northwest and, uh, and at this point where he's saying stop it you got to turn it off stop it stop it in the background of course yeah. you can hear that yeah. and it is yeah. no more days for Halloween and we know that what happens because we saw with that um, the American family earlier we know the disaster that's just about to unfold and all across America um, because these, it's supposed to have been a bumpy year for selling masks as well, and uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, going back, you know, like the big sell which Cal said mentioned earlier is that there is major, major flaws, isn't there? There's like lots of there's about four or five film ideas where they kind of. It's completely underwritten. Uh, it it seems as though lots of things were added, lots of things were taken out. I don't think it was finished. If you look at the release years. Halloween 2 was uh, released in 1981 and the, the you know the same time a year later 1982 it, Halloween 3 came out so I don't think uh, that the film was it seems to me that it's kind of a not no. quite finished script really perhaps they were under to uh, release it the also sequel. killed yeah uh, killed the idea of doing these spin-offs didn't it because the idea was it was supposed to be a spin-off yeah. world outside of the Halloween the main Michael Myers stories and it made fourteen million dollars. Yeah, it was uh, the budget was two point five million, so it still made a profit. But I would imagine most of that was people showing up expecting to see Michael. But there we go. And funnily enough, there there wasn't um, there wasn't another Halloween film after this for six years, which I think is is certainly one of the longest gaps in the original series. And they had um, to call it Return of Michael Myers, didn't they? they had to make it clear, you know, it's yeah, exactly. guys, yeah. he's, he's <laughs> We promise, we promise. Uh, the first, I can remember the, the wave of disappointment as a kid watching it, and, uh, you know, at first, uh, but then in thinking back and those creepy moments, like, you know, with the kid with the mask on and the, the, the advert and, you know, there were, and, and mm. you know, I, I completely forgotten because I've not watched the film for years. I completely forgotten the whole 
storyline about Stonehenge and the whole storyline about killer robots. Maybe that's the difference between us because I never saw this as a kid, so yeah. there's absolutely no nostalgia for me with this. So maybe you need that to to like this. Too. I think possibly, yeah, yeah, because it, it is one of those. It's like, you know, as, as not as long as I've known Carl and known Carl a long time that. Whenever Halloween's coming out, I've, I've hummed that song to Carlos, said that word, <laughs> the Silver Shamrock song, and it's... Um, Instead of a reboot, they should do, like, um, a Halloween 3 reboot, which is, like, uh, I don't know, Halloween... Should we get John, Halloween, uh, should we get Halloween 7, John Travolta uh, back? <laughs> These masks are poppycock. <laughs> at, the, at, the, at the end of the film where he's uh, trying to get the stations turned off he said he phones him and says I want you to turn the stations off I can't talk long I gotta poo <laughs> but um, I mean if we compare because the idea tonight is, is that you know it's comparing the two they are worlds apart in the sense of like one's got a lot more to say you know I do admit that the living dead's got more to say stylistically they're very different as well aren't they but I suppose the the the, the the, yeah. the loose connection is, you know, the horror banner, and then also the fact is that they, there is a great soundtrack in both films. Yeah, both soundtracks are regularly reissued on um, on vinyl every few years. They both look they, good you know, they, as well. They're both big they don't, you know, because you know, they're both old films, and they both still yes. look decent, you know, compared to some shockers I've, I've seen recently, and they still. Going three in particular um, is filmed in um, in Panavision, which is you know proper kind of really widescreen yeah. it really looks good if you can see the whole you know the whole frame on yeah. like a DVD they both had people the, involved who actually knew their stuff in that sense but as i say you know like it's very uh raggedy um halloween free is it you know it is it's lots of rewrites and lots of mess going on but it's fun we we talked openly about the um yeah. the leading the leading men in these films in some ways, they're quite similar because they're both quite kind of um, unpalatable in some ways now. Uh, you know, chauvinistic, uh, rude, you know, womanizer. Um, they're certainly not traits that you'd, you'd equate with, um, you know, heroes from... Um, yeah, more so, more so Halloween free than, um, than Living Dead, because at least, at least George in Living Dead at Manchester Mall, because, you know, he's a bit rude, but he's, that's as far as it gets, whereas this guy is a complete sleazebag, is he? He's a, he literally goes from woman to and and he's it's it's hinted not even hinted it's completely suggested that all and it's, it's the idea this eighties ideal that all the women want him as well like they, yeah. there's a, there's a there's a nurse there's a doctor in the who spends the whole film looking at the parts of the the, the android who got killed That's outside he got yes yeah, she spends she spends the whole film just tapping these these mechanical parts and trying to get her head around. Why there's no body parts, it's just like robot parts. And Isn't then there she... a part of the film though where she kind of gets a bit confused and says something like, Oh, I think there's been a mix up at the lab or something yeah. like that. Wrong samples. She finally clocks it, doesn't she? And then she dies really brutally. She gets drilled in the head, yeah. doesn't she? Yeah, a bit of DIY <laughs> from the Android. <laughs> I don't That's know. Halloween three just doesn't feel like a proper. I think it maybe is like a forty-five minute episode of a of a TV show. It might work, but it just doesn't feel like a proper film for me. I mean, yeah, like a Twilight Zone episode. or yeah, something Yeah, like, like that. an episode of Twilight Zone. But um, I think if they've spent a bit of time developing, I mean, the the the, the character, the main Doctor Doctor Chalice, is so 
flat and there's not much to him. He's very two dimensional, is it? There's no, there's no, there's no side to him. It, we don't even get like introduced to like, you know, he's got an ex wife or any of that, you know, even like most 80s films, like ex wife. And scene at the beginning, isn't there, where he doesn't he go to visit his children? Oh, there is that, yeah. yeah. So he has got the ex wife and he has got the gambling habit and the drinking. Yeah. What do you think, guys? Do you think this one is uh, staying in the mark? What do you, Carl, would, uh, what's your verdict? You know, I'm, I'm, I love this film so much, even though it's completely and utterly flawed. Uh, uh, photography, the music's great in it. It has got some genuine chills in this film, and uh, it's just nicely weird. Yeah. Weird enough for, um, you know, to be entertaining for, again, I think this is about 90-odd minutes, which is yeah. just about long enough. So for me, I'm going to send this one off on the uh, on the helicopter to freedom. Yeah, for Where me... For me, I'm personally going to send it off into the uh, helicopter to freedom, but the helicopter gets bazookaed down by an android at the last minute. <laughs> and by in default, in, in a pile of ashes. Yeah. For me, I'm, I'm going to say the film's in the mark, but then Dr. Chalice finds a uh, zombie chalice, <laughs> finds a, an air vent, and like just like in the film, he knows how to navigate his way out, and then he's free. Uh, but he may, have, he may have a bite in his calf. So it's not looking good for him. <laughs> I don't think any young girls on the on the on the escape uh, who might turn out to be uh, work robots. Yeah, but um, I mean, if the t- you know, I'm glad this is like a Halloween special for us. This one is it because we've not yeah. done this on the uh, on our podcast. Special. <laughs> but um, no, we'll let it be edited. But uh, but I, I, I could say that you know, I could say if these if these are our first horror films. We've not started too bad because there's some truly shocking horror films out there, but these two are, are not a bad place to start. Well, that's true, and of course we needed to pay tribute to our um, our kind of namesake and the inspiration for our our kind of name. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, happy to do that one for uh, for Halloween. It's nice to revisit Halloween three again, uh, even though watching it with a more critical eye, I think. Yeah, you know, there's there's certainly things that they they hadn't quite got finished or hadn't worked out fully. So if you want to be spooked and confused and uh, perhaps maybe poopy pants, <laughs> you, you could you couldn't go too far wrong with watching maybe you know Living Dead for actually more the fear and Halloween Free for just the bizarre or surreal but entertaining uh, film that it is. Absolutely. Okay, guys. Well, uh, thank you for for listening to this one. It's I appreciate it's been a long one, but uh, it's a Halloween special. So what can you do? It's uh, that, that's what it's all about, isn't it? What are you going to do if you're on lockdown, everyone? You know, you've, you've got a couple of hours there. Exactly. You've, you've got try. nothing else going on, so come on. Nothing else happening. Just just listen. Just listen. <laughs> 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 or, uh, do, or is this a special broadcast this could be a trick on the, uh, on the podcast yeah when you listen to this if snakes start crawling out of your ears then uh, <laughs> then we know we've got you <laughs> so this is um carl rob and lee and we'll say um bye bye from manchester more podcast and thanks for listening bye 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 perhaps we'll see you uh next halloween or okay. sooner Sooner, we'll say, yeah, we'll probably go back to some action for the next time. Okay, see you then. Bye. Don't have, don't have <laughs> nightmares, guys. Sleep tight. <laughs>